the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Coming up later this hour, we're going to talk with Donald Critchlow, Revolutionary Monsters, Five Men Who turned liberation into tyranny. It's actually a classic interview, and that will be coming up in the next, uh, uh, well, the second half of the first hour of today's program. First, taking a look at the news, the Biden Supreme Court Commission voted to send the president a report taking no position on court packing. Now, that's better than taking a position in favor of, but it doesn't really answer any questions. The Presidential Commission on the Supreme Court voted unanimously in favor of approving its final report and sending it to the president's desk. Well, the vote concluded the work of a 34-member commission, which held six public meetings, called on 44 witnesses. President Biden, who's expressed opposition to expanding the court, formed the commission in April to study court expansion and reform amid calls from some within the Democratic Party to add more justices. Well, the final draft of the 288 page report drew vocal opposition regarding some of its conclusions. It was released on Monday, stopped short of offering specific recommendations, however. Instead, it offered a summary of arguments for and against issuing ranging from court packing and judicial term limits to various elements of the court's practice. Well, during Tuesday's virtual hearing, several members noted the sharp differences of opinion among those on the commission regarding such issues, which the report summary said mirrors the broader public debate regarding court packing the report said no serious person in either major political party suggests court packing as a means of overturning disliked supreme court decisions whether the decision is uh, in question is roe versus wade or citizens united scholars could say until very recently that even as compared to other court reform efforts court packing is especially out of bounds this is part of the convention of judicial independence End quote. Well, the commission takes no position on the validity or strength of these claims. The report summary added, mirroring the broader public debate, there is profound disagreement among commissioners on these issues. We present the arguments in order to fulfill our charge to provide a complete account of the contemporary court reform debate. And that was that. In other news, the Biden administration is scrambling to keep another controversial nominee from going down. The White House views uh, Gigi Sohn's nomination as a commissioner to the Federal uh, Communications Commission as similarly imperiled, given the staunch Republican opposition and skepticism rather from moderate Democrats. Well, the House passed a procedural bill to raise the debt ceiling. When President Biden missed the congressional deadline to disclose details of the Afghan airlift, an agreement he signed on to. Well, the administration has failed to meet a congressionally imposed requirement that it share a breakdown of where the Afghanistan evacuation stands, including a detailed listing of whom it airlifted out of Kabul, according to a senior Senate Republican. A mother says a Los Angeles school vaccinated her child without parental consent. The parent says her son was given pizza as an incentive and told not to tell his parents. The pro-life community reacted to a New York Times article claiming children are better dead than adopted. 
Well, the Times posted a guest essay from a, a, a Democratic digital strategist who argues it's better to kill a child than to put it up for adoption. Dr. Albert Moeller says this. The analysis is simply stunning. The argument here is that adoption is a worse alternative for women because it is emotionally uh, emotionally fraud. And after all, you do have the ideological issue that there's a uh, a power. There's an inversion of power and privilege here. Now, interestingly, she uh, reconnected with her birth mother. And here's what she tells us that both her birth mother and her adoptive mother oppose abortion on religious grounds. Hmm. Now, let's just stop for a moment. Albert Moeller goes on to say that goes a long way in explaining how the author in this article has even come to life and then grew uh, to adulthood and was cared for and nurtured in such a way that she could eventually become a Democratic digital strategist and proponent of abortion. If the abortion logic had prevailed with her birth mother, she would never have existed. Author. Uh, the author is actually infuriated that anyone would make that argument, including, stunningly enough, her birth mother and her adoptive mother. Well, the Surgeon General is is a warning of a mental health crisis among youth, which was bad before the amplified um, bad before and I should say amplified in this pandemic madness. Carl Markowitz says this, we can go to concerts, dinner, Broadway shows, but being in the same room as the population least at risk for a poor COVID-19 outcome is Forbidden. It's because our leaders have decided that concerts, dinners, Broadway shows uh, matter while parental involvement in kids' education just doesn't. They pretend there are no consequences to all of this. Well, the women's draft was ditched by congressional leaders this week. A few months ago, Emmy Griffin described why drafting women is a terrible idea. She wrote at the time, women and men have an equal amount of value, but their functions are different. If we ignore the fact that women are generally weaker physically than men, and this is a biological fact, then drafting our girls is akin to a death sentence. Senator Josh Hawley also observed, and I quote, volunteering for military service is not the same as being forced into it, and no woman should be compelled to do so, end quote. Well, thankfully, they won't be under the current National Defense Authorization Act. We must remain vigilant. However, in future years, progressives will surely try again. Regarding uh, President Biden's diplomatic boycott of the upcoming China-hosted Winter Olympics, his spokeswoman, Jen Psaki, claims not sending a U.S. delegation sends a clear message that we cannot conduct ourselves with business as usual, that we are not in a state where business as usual is appropriate, end quote. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi insists, and I quote, we cannot give our official imprimatur to uh, these games or proceed as if um, there is nothing wrong with uh, holding the Olympics in a country perpetuating genocide and mass human rights violations, allowing a country notorious for its appalling human rights record to host the Olympics makes a mockery of the Olympic Charter, which states uh, that the Games should seek to foster respect for universal and fundamental ethical principles. So remind us again how this uh, justifies participating at any level. Senator Tom Cotton observed, this is the status quo. It is the status quo. China was going to have very strict travel controls anyway on diplomats and corporate officials because of their draconian coronavirus lockdowns. In other news saying you can't continue to flood the market, Joe Manchin pushed back again on President Biden's $2 trillion spending bill. 
Joe Biden and Vladimir Putin squared off for two hours as Ukraine tensions mount. The talk yielded no breakthroughs, however. Some are now asking if George W. Bush was a 2007 victim of the Russia-induced Havana syndrome. On June the 5th, back in 2007, President George W. Bush arrived at the Grand Hotel in Germany. The Baltic Sea Resort was hosting a, th- that year's G7 rather G- G8 summit. Witnesses uh, testify uh, testimony indicates in hindsight that the president and others in his delegation may have been victims of the so-called Havana syndrome. The possible link between ailments suffered by Bush's delegation and Havana syndrome has not been previously reported. Major companies are raising wages to keep up with inflation and Merry Christmas. Economists see a year end surge in inflation. Not necessarily the happy new year that typically follows. American so-called pandemic era excess savings are dwindling. And a dying Columbia University student cried for help after being stabbed by a reputed gangbanger. After another student was murdered, Columbia University leadership decided that the best position to take was no position at all. A former college coach is suing Illinois State University for his All Lives Matter termination. And Olaf Scholz replaces Angela Merkel as German's chancellor. Well, the Senate voted to repeal the Biden federal vaccine mandate for businesses. The Senate voted Wednesday to repeal a president-backed federal COVID-19 vaccine mandate for private business. The final vote was 52 to 48. Moderate Democratic Senators Joe Manchin of West Virginia and John Tester of um, Montana joined Republicans to vote in favor of the repeal. Republicans brought the uh, repeal to the uh, Senate floor under the Congressional Review Act, which allows Congress to review presidential executive orders. Senator Mike Braun, a Republican from Indiana who sponsored the resolution, said the mandate was an example of the heavy hand of government hurting businesses. The Biden administration's mandate requires private companies with 100 or more employees to ensure their employees are vaccinated against COVID-19 or undergo regular testing. Firms that do not comply face very steep fines. The mandate prompted immediate legal challenges from several states, as well as businesses and religious groups. Well, last month, the federal appeals court enacted a temporary hold on enforcement of the mandate pending the outcome of litigation. Even with the Senate's approval, the GOP-backed resolution is unlikely to overturn the mandate. The Democrat-controlled House is not expected to take up the measure, and President Biden would very likely veto the bill if it cleared Congress. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Back in a moment. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our next couple of segments, we'll hear from Donald Critchlow, author of Revolutionary Monsters, Five Men Who Turned Liberation into Tyranny. That's coming up in our next segment. Well, since Maine and New York have terminated countless health care workers due to the unlawful covid shot mandates, the two governors have now activated members of the National Guard to help alleviate the shortages at hospitals and health care facilities. Now, some media attribute these uh, drastic actions to the surge of covid cases. However, lest people forget, both governors said that they would deploy the National Guard to fill the vacancies their unlawful mandates created. Both governors mandated that all health care workers get the covid shots and directed employers to deny all religious exemption claims or face fines and revocation of their business license. Plural. 
Uh, make no mistake, the shortage of health care workers and the current health crisis is caused by the governors of Maine, Jan, uh, Janet Mills, and New York Governor Kathy Hochul. Well, these two governors are directly responsible for the current mess. In 2019, before COVID, Maine already faced a shortage of health care workers. And this has, as mentioned a moment ago, simply exacerbated the problem. The restrictions both governors have imposed on their respective states are not working. Compare instead to the example set in Florida, which has been wide open since September of last year and now has the lowest COVID rate per capita than any other state. Congratulations. In other developments, a Los Angeles school district fired hundreds of employees who refused to vaccinate. Finland's 36-year-old prime minister apologized for uh, clubbing, that essentially means going to a club, after COVID-19 close contact. A Georgia federal judge is the latest to halt the Biden federal contractor vaccine mandate. And GOP senators say they believe the House will take up the anti-vaccine mandate bill to force Biden to veto. Others not uh, disagree. Uh, COVID cases top 100,000 per day, despite the U.S. hitting a 200 million vaccine milestone. And a study suggests the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine may only partially protect against the new variant Omicron. The Los Angeles County DA is being blasted over his tone-deaf news conference on crime, calling it an embarrassment. Well, the district attorney, George Gascon, was surrounded by several colleagues from other states Wednesday while defending his policies amid a second recall attempt to oust him and a crime wave of shootings and brazen burglaries. Gascon, a former San Francisco police chief, has taken heat since taking office last year over his rollback of uh, tough-on-crime measures like the death penalty, charging juvenile suspects as adults, and the leveling of crime uh, criminal enhancements, which can significantly increase prison sentences. We have set a path for ourselves and turned around the criminal legal system in our country in a way that will be more humane, more equitable, and above all, will create a safer environment for all of us, he claimed during the news conference. This in the midst of a crime wave. Before I took office, the legal system here offered victim one solution. After someone causes harm, a long sentence, he continued, we operated towards uh, victims like a factory making widgets. Well, Gascon, most ardent critics include Los Angeles County Sheriff Alex Villanueva, some of his own prosecutors and crime victims who accuse him of abandoning his responsibility to prosecute criminals. That press conference was an embarrassment. George Gascon is completely tone deaf to the impact his policies are having on victims and public safety. Desiree Andrade, co-chair of the recall DA George Gascon campaign, said. A Texas gunman has been acquitted in a Midland officer's death after self-defense claim, and carjackings and vehicle thefts have skyrocketed across the country. Smash-and-grab robberies are plaguing cities with liberal district attorneys, and a sheriff's group rebuts the White House's claim that it's helping combat the surge in retail thefts. Well, Jussie Smollett's fate rested in the hands of the jury. It was just announced earlier today that he was found guilty on five counts. Uh, Neither side uh, held back from making key points about Smollett's alleged involvement in what prosecutors now believe was a hate crime hoax orchestrated by the former Empire actor and carried out by their star witnesses, brothers uh, who testified Smollett paid them $3,500 to participate in the alleged scheme in January of 2019. Once again, Smollett has been found guilty of five of the six counts. In other developments, Black Lives Matter stands in solidarity with Jussie Smollett, saying we can never believe police or other 
uh, or other not so famous black brothers who outed Smollett's hoax. Okay, I added that last part myself. Well, the co-chair of the Texas School Board's racial equity panel quit after a confrontation with parents. A liberal newspaper asked whether math is racist. The black, the backlash rather was furious. They didn't answer the question. They just asked it. The backlash was furious. You cannot question the new narrative. Well, a car pulled from an Alabama creek may solve a 45 year mystery, but what was uh, found inside raises questions. Authorities in Georgia on Wednesday announced the discovery of remains they believe to belong to a college student who vanished back in 1976 while driving to Auburn University, the report said. A Navy SEAL commander died at 43 in an accident, leaving his wife and five kids behind. The Navy SEAL commander died from injuries suffered during a training accident in Virginia on Saturday. Naval Special Warfare Command said Wednesday that Commander Brian Bourgeois, 43, fell while fast roping down from a helicopter in Virginia Beach, Virginia. A fidelity survey on U.S. workers says 39 percent are looking to change jobs in the year ahead. An Amazon outage disrupted lives and surprised people about their cloud dependency. Apple won a delay on a monopoly case, allowing their App Store uh, rules to stay in place for now. Game st- GameStop shares um, are slipping as the video game retailer loses uh, or losses are widening. And Beijing has reined in the China's central bank. In a 52 to 48 vote, the Senate voted to reject the Biden vaccine mandate on business. And amid record setting crime, President Biden blames COVID. Apparently, COVID is itself responsible for wielding weapons, going into stores and gathering up. Anyway, New York Post says at least 12 major U.S. cities have already set historical murder records in 2021, even as three weeks remain in the year. The Wall Street Journal says asked last week at a press conference whether the pandemic was to blame for the surge in crime. As President Biden has suggested, the White House press secretary, Jen Psaki, declared the virus is a root cause in a lot of the communities. The root cause, the all encompassing uh, absolution that simultaneously strips criminals of agency and Democratic politicians of responsibility for the consequences of their policies. Well, President Biden is anxious over Russia and Ukraine. The Daily Wire writes that Russia is reportedly preparing to launch a massive invasion into Ukraine as soon as within upcoming weeks, up with up to 175,000 troops, armor and artillery. President Biden says we hope by Friday we're going to be able to say and announce to you that we're having meetings at a higher level, not just with us, but with at least four of our major NATO allies and Russia to discuss the future of Russia's concerns relative to NATO writ large and whether or not we can work out any accommodations as it relates to the bringing down the temperature along the eastern front. Jack Keane with Fox News says a former vice chief of staff for the U.S. Army under President Bill Clinton and George W. Bush told Fox News host Martha McCallum that Russia is absolutely poised to attempt a military invasion of Ukraine after forcibly annexing its Crimea region during the Obama years. Dr. Fauci says the definition of fully vaccinated will change yet again. The Daily Wire points out that Dr. Fauci said during a CNN interview on Wednesday that it's only a matter of time before the definition of being fully vaccinated against COVID-19 changes. The report is not the first time the redefinition of full vaccination has been discussed in the U.S. In October, the director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, Rochelle Walensky, told reporters the definition could change in the future. And RNC Research says um, Dr. Fauci says it's a matter of when, not if the definition of fully vaccinated changes. 
CNBC says Pfizer CEO Albert Borla said Wednesday that people might need a fourth COVID shot sooner than expected after preliminary research shows the new Omicron variant can undermine protective antibodies generated by the vaccine. Senator Marco Rubio, Rubio rather, says the U.S. is economically addicted to China. Speaking at Hillsdale in um, D.C., our economy is now controlled by people who have more allegiance to the global economic order than to their own nation. Corporate executives will protest. But how else to view actions such as Apple's Tim Cook's secret $275 billion deal with Beijing to spend more on Chinese uh, produced components in exchange for regulatory reforms that would help Apple's bottom line? From Hillsdale, according to Rubio, we need a capitalism in which our market serves our people, not a capitalism in which our people serve the market. A new Gallup poll affirms that Americans are still partial to capitalism over socialism. The Wall Street Journal says a new poll from Gallup confirms that the American people still have more faith in capitalism than the, uh, they do socialism. Uh, Gallup says capitalism is viewed positively by 60 percent, socialism 38 percent. Democrats continue to view socialism more positively than capitalism. Representative Devin Nunez announced his retirement. He will serve as CEO of a Trump media venture. And under a threat of teacher resignations, schools are returning to online classes. After a few months of relative calm, some public schools are going remote or canceling classes entirely for a day a week or even for a couple of weeks because of teacher burnout or staff shortages. For many schools, a remote learning day is an option that did not exist before the pandemic are a last-ditch effort to keep teachers from resigning. They're burned out, educators said, after a year of trying to help students through learning loss and working overtime to make up the labor shortages. Battles in the classroom over mask mandates and critical race theory have also taken a toll. Uh, The president of the American Federation of Teachers, the country's largest, uh, rather second-largest teachers' union, what you hear from teachers is that it's been too much, she said, and they're trying their best, um, the best that they can. The White House met with media outlets in an effort to garner more positive headlines. Well, there's an idea. Uh, The administration is not happy with the unflattering headlines and coverage of the supply chain disaster and handling of the economy. And so has been working behind the scenes trying to reshape coverage in its favor. That's according to CNN's reliable sources from reliable sources as well. The officials have been discussing with newsrooms trending uh, trends rather pertaining to job creation, economic growth, supply chain and more. The basic argument has been um, has been made. The country's economy is in much better shape than it was last year. I'm told the conversations have been productive with anchors and reporters and producers getting to talk with officials. Now, can you imagine that under the Trump administration that was treated much worse than The Biden administration, who uh, either is not covered on major issues that should be covered or softballed on those that they do. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up, we're going to share a conversation with Donald Critchlow, author of Revolutionary Monsters, Five Men Who Turned Liberation into Tyranny. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. As I alluded to earlier in the program, Jesse Smollett, the actor, uh, has been found guilty on five out of six charges in the alleged hate crimes hoax trial. The jury found Smollett guilty on the first five counts and not guilty on the last one after a contentious week of witness testimony. 
counsel arguments and deliberation. The 39-year-old Empire alum has, uh, was charged with six counts of disorderly conduct related to false statements to Chicago police officers in regard to a 2019 hate crime against himself. In 2019, he claimed that two men attacked him due to his skin color and sexual orientation. Well, since being accused of staging the attack, Smollett has maintained his innocence and said during a two-day testimony that there was no hate crime hoax from my standpoint. Prosecutors, however, argued that Smollett carried out a dry run of the attack the day before it occurred in 2019. Apparently, there was video confirming that fact. Among the surprising claims made by Smollett's testimony was the revelation that the actor received a text from CNN's Don Lemon, supposedly relaying information that the Chicago Police Department didn't believe his account of what happened. Additionally, he pushed back against testimonies from the two brothers, um, one in particular of the alleged attackers, claiming that he'd purchased drugs from the man and made out with him at a bathhouse. Um, he, uh, the brother testified that he is not gay and their relationship was not sexual in nature. He also previously stated that he did not sell drugs to Smollett, but merely acquired them for him. So it was a rather sordid affair. Smollett um, found guilty on five counts out of six. Uh, sentencing will come at some point in the future. Well, if Roe versus Wade is overturned, California is looking to become an abortion sanctuary. Now, think about that for a moment. Those two words put together, it is an oxymoron. Abortion is anything but a sanctuary. Well, the California Future of Abortion Council was uh, founded by none other than California Governor Gavin Newsom. The Los Angeles Times reports with more than two dozen states poised to ban abortion at the U.S. Supreme Court gives them the okay next year. California clinics and their allies in the state legislature on Wednesday revealed a plan to make the state a sanctuary for those seeking reproductive care. Now, reproductive care as abortion is another oxymoron, including possibly paying for travel, lodging, and procedures for people from other states on the taxpayer's dime. It would be no sanctuary, as I said, for the unborn. Well, Vice President Kamala Harris's approval rating is, well, pretty bad. Just 28% are enthusiastic about the vice president via the Daily Mail. Mark Alexander observed that a bunch of talking heads on the right are trying to monetize Kyle Rittenhouse, but he needs to fade to the dark for a while. Those uh, interviews are not doing his verdict any good. Alexander notes, I don't disagree with Rittenhouse's statement. Well, I have PTSD, but the best thing to do is to joke about it, but don't do it in a national forum. This kid is getting used. And while the Tucker Carlson interview was reasonable, subsequent interviews have been trash. He is young and his attorneys undoubtedly want to keep him front and center for their liability settlements, but yakking it up and grinning from ear to ear underestimates his case, or rather undermines his case. Per The Hill, rising costs due to inflation have become a top concern among Americans. A new Monmouth University poll found. The poll found that 15% of respondents currently see everyday bills, such as groceries, as the top concern in the country. And while 14% see inflation as the top concern, interestingly, in addition to those expressing concern about inflation and high costs, 46% of respondents to the poll said whatever they named as their top issue has been negatively impacted by the federal government in the past few months. That is the highest degree of blame voters have placed on the federal government regarding their top concerns since former President uh, Obama's administration. Could it possibly be that, as Ronald Reagan suggested, government is the problem, not the solution? Well, the House finally voted to ban imports from Xinjiang over forced labor concerns. 
AOC says uh, taxpayers should have to pay her $17,000 student loan, even though she makes $174,000 a year. Might talk to her about a loan. Mark Meadows is suing Speaker Pelosi and the January 6th committee. He's been found in contempt. Migrants are rushing the border ahead of President Biden's restarting the Trump asylum policy, which the court said he must. And President Biden says U.S. ground troops are not on the table for Ukraine. The U.K. and Canada joined a diplomatic boycott of the the Beijing Winter Games. And 4.2 million workers quit their jobs in October, the third highest number on record. U.S. businesses advertised a near-record 11 million open jobs in October, and there are now 3.6 million more jobs than than there are people willing to take them. Schools are closing due to teacher burnout, and an L.A. school district fired nearly 500 employees who refused the COVID vaccine. Ibram Kendi, I should say Ibram X. Kendi, raked in $45,000 for a speaking fee from the University of Wisconsin and made the school delete his lecture. They didn't even get to keep it for others to see and hear. George Orwell's 1984 is going to get a feminist rewrite. I can hardly wait for that. Just 18% of U.S. households are nuclear families with a married couple and children, down from 40% since the 1970s and the lowest since 1959. Suspected Fox Christmas tree arsonist is already free on bail. Uh, Chris Cuomo has been dropped by Harper Collins following his firing from CNN. And for conspicuous gallantry and intrepidity, intrepidity, wow, uh, three medals of honor from combat actions in Iraq and Afghanistan have been awarded. Intrepidity. Well, on this day in history, 1620, the passengers and crew of the Mayflower site Cape Cod. 1939, Nazis loot and burn synagogues as well as Jewish-owned stores and houses in Germany and Austria in a pogrom, a deliberate persecution that became known as Kristallnacht. 1961, U.S. Air Force Major Robert White becomes the first pilot to fly an X-15 rocket plane at six times the speed of sound. 1965, the greatest Northeast blackout begins as a series of power failures lasting up to 13 and a half hours leave 30 million people in seven states and parts of Canada without electricity. 1967, a Saturn V rocket carrying an unnamed, or rather an unmanned Apollo spacecraft blasts off from Cape Canaveral on a successful test flight. 1976, the UN General Assembly approves a resolution condemning apartheid and South Africa, including one characterizing the white-ruled government as illegitimate. On this day in history, 1989, communist East Germany threw open its borders, allowing citizens to travel freely to the West. Joyous Germans dance atop the Berlin Wall. 2000, George W. Bush led over uh, his lead, rather, over Al Gore in an all-or-nothing Florida slip beneath 300 votes in a suspense-filled recount as Democrats challenged the presidential election in the courts, claiming an injustice unparalleled in our history, close quote. 2007, uh, President General Perez Musharraf of Pakistan uh, placed opposition leader Benazar Bhutto under house arrest for a day and round of, uh, rounded up thousands of her supporters to block a mass rally against his emergency rule. And finally, on this day in history, 2017, during a visit to Beijing, President Trump criticizes what he called a very one-sided and unfair trade relationship between the U.S. and China. But says he doesn't blame China for having taken advantage 
of the United States. He blamed the United States for allowing itself to be taken advantage of. Well, Dr. Anthony Fauci, America's top infectious disease expert, we're told, said Tuesday that early indications suggest the Omicron COVID-19 variant is potentially milder than previously thought and previous strains. While much is still unknown about Omicron, Fauci told uh, the French press, it almost uh, certainly is not more severe than the Delta variant. There is some suggestion that it might even be less severe because when you look at some of the cohorts that are being followed in South Africa, the uh, ratio between the number of infections and the number of hospitalizations seems to be less than with Delta, he said. Uh, noting that populations being followed had skewed young and were less likely to be hospitalized due to the disease. Omicron cases have been confirmed in at least nine African countries and more than 50 countries around the world, with some officials also reporting that initial cases appear to be mild. A preliminary study from scientists in South Africa were da- where rather daily cases of Omicron strain have spiked Since mid-November, said that the variant was more likely to cause um, reinfections than previous variants. The study had yet to be peer-reviewed at the time of its release. And nearly 600 scientists and mathematicians have signed a letter conveying deep concern over California's recent steps to reform its mathematics curriculum for K-12 students that are purportedly designed to close gaps in pupil achievement. We are deeply concerned about the unintended consequences of recent well-intentioned approaches to reform mathematics education, particularly the California mathematics framework, the letter read. It criticized the one-size-fits-all approach the framework uh, takes for K-12 mathematics education, arguing the reforms would make it more difficult for students to succeed in college STEM classes. The California Department of Education's reform to the mathematics frame uh, mathematics framework would include supporting equitable and engaging mathematics instruction. The new reforms would do this in part by opening the door for advanced uh, data science and statistic courses available to all students rather than those selected as mathematically oriented in younger grades. The reforms also advise teachers to teach towards social justice in mathematics arguing that teaching mathematics as a neutral discipline has some um, uh, possibilities for students uh, developing more personal and powerful relationship to mathematics. Hmm. The authors pointed out that the reforms may leave public school students disadvantaged when compared to students in private schools, as well as pupils internationally. We'll continue to follow that battle as it uh, invariably will continue. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Want to um, encourage you to take advantage of the opportunity to, I don't know, have your mortgage waived for a year. I'm talking about the Christmas Mortgage Miracle. Uh, you still have time to enter the Christmas Mortgage Miracle Contest to have your rent or mortgage paid for an entire year. You can enter once per day now through uh, Friday, December 17th, the Christmas Mortgage Miracle from KPDQ and Osteo Strong PDX. Click on the Christmas Mortgage Miracle banner on the homepage at kpdq.com. That's pretty cool. 
Well, 47 interfaith groups and individuals are calling for President Biden, the administration, to reinstate Nigeria as the country of particular concern. The Family Research Council, along with these organizations and individuals, signed on to a letter calling on the president to redesignate Nigeria as a country of particular concern after a recent spate of targeted violence against Nigerian Christians. The calls for the redesignation came after the president's uh, State Department removed the country from the CPC list in November. The country was first put on the uh, country um, of particular concern list in December of last year. Well, other signers to the letter included organizations and individuals such as Dr. Hassan John, Director of Communications, Church of Nigeria, Anglican Communion, former Congressman Frank Wolf, Boko Haram kidnapping survivor Joy Bishara, uh, Stephen Enada, and Kyle Apps of the International Committee for Nigeria. Uh, the Family Research Council's Special Advisor for Religious Freedom, Andrew Brunson, Reverend uh, Dr. Benjamin Kwashi, Anglican Bishop of Joss, Sam Brownback, former Ambassador at Large for International Religious Freedom, Nina Shea, Director of the Hudson Institute Center for Religious Freedom, Miriam Ibrahim, co-author and Director of Global Mobilization for the Tahir Al-Nisa Foundation, ADF International, and China Aid. The CPC designation is the U.S. government's official worst of the worst list regarding religious freedom violations. Nigeria's religious freedom problems are notorious. They rapidly deteriorated even further. The administration's removal of Nigeria from that list defies logic, uh, sound policymaking, and much more. This must be remedied and Nigeria placed back on the list so the full force of the federal government can be harnessed to address the crisis. Well, the letter uh, letter reads in part, how can it be less than a year after this uh, significant designation that Nigeria's CPC designation has been dropped without a public explanation? The ongoing violence, killing and displacement against Christians and others have only increased. In fact, during 2021, massacres happen almost nightly. While by day, young boys are killed in the fields, pregnant women are brutally dismembered, their babies mutilated before their eyes, and now an entire church congregation has been abducted and held captive. It goes on from there. We, the undersigned, are writing on behalf of the communities in Nigeria, where more Christians are currently being killed than anywhere else on the face of the earth. We implore you to immediately redesignate Nigeria as a country of particular concern. Failing to do so rewards the Nigerian government for tolerating and engaging in egregious, systematic and ongoing religious freedom violations and sends a message to extremists that their actions will go unpunished. Now, I mention this not just to point out that this letter, this appeal has been made, but to remind those of us who care deeply about that branch of the family in Nigeria to be in prayer uh, for them, they are suffering mightily. And as mentioned at the end of the letter, the uh, the deaths, uh, the murders of these Christians exceeds that of any other location on Earth. And we are aware of many other places where Christians are routinely killed. But Nigeria tops that list numerically. So remember them in prayer and we'll continue to follow uh, how this is responded to by the administration. Well, a prohibition on distributing government funds to sectarian or religious schools is written into the Constitution, uh, constitutions rather, of 36 states. Now, the provisions are known as Blaine Amendments. Last year, the Supreme Court considered and then invalidated the specific prohibition contained in the Montana Constitution. In Espinoza versus Montana Department of Revenue, the High Court ruled that although states aren't required to subsidize private education, when they do, 
they may not exclude religious schools from receiving funds simply because they are religious. The The court held at that time that no aid provision of the Montana Constitution discriminated against both religious schools and the families with children enrolled in them in violation of the U.S. Constitution. However, the Supreme Court left open the question of whether a state could exclude families and schools from funding uh, based on the religious use of which, to which a student's aid might be put at a school. In other words, does it violate the Constitution to prohibit students who participate in educational aid programs from using that aid to attend a religious school? Well, that question formed the crux of oral arguments Wednesday in Carson versus Macon, a lawsuit brought by Maine parents. Uh, uh, parents from the state of Maine who were prevented from using available state tuition assistance to send their children to private Christian schools. Well, the parents couldn't do so, despite the fact that uh, in sparsely populated Maine, over half of the school districts don't operate their own high schools and instead offer tuition assistance for students to attend private or public schools elsewhere. Now, these schools may be inside or outside of Maine, so long as they aren't religious schools. Well, as the petitioners point out in their merits brief, when a question arises about whether a school is non-sectarian, that is non-religious, and therefore a suitable choice for families who get tuition assistance, the Maine Department of Education examines curriculum and activities to determine whether the school promotes faith or presents its teachers through uh, a um, faith-based lens. Well, interestingly, um, the question of whether or not these parents have standing is one element that was heard in the oral arguments earlier this week, uh, but a decision is expected in that case sometime this summer. And it does have the potential for much broader implications for other states, and we'll continue to follow that case. But this is one that we will um, certainly be anxious to hear the answer to when the Supreme Court reveals uh, the outcome of a number of cases that, of course, includes the Mississippi abortion law and the potential of uh, overturning or modifying Roe versus Wade. Meanwhile, when you read a headline that says um, California schools of witchcraft and anti-white supremacy, uh, surely this is a satire on on par with the Babylon Bee. Sadly, this is actually uh, happening in California public schools. Pepperdine University senior Spencer Lindquist writes about revisiting his own high school and uh, district to see just how much more they're going down the um, indoctrination path regarding critical race theory. His high school directly links to a Black Lives Matter resource guide geared towards students. It also has this writing prompt source uh, for students to uh, talk about uh, police brutality and racism. Hex is the first entry on the second page of the prompts. A hex, as defined by the dictionary, is a magic spell or curse. The students are told that hexing is an important way to get out anger and frustration against someone. They're encouraged to write a hex poem cursing someone with whom they disagree or are angry. Besides being absolutely demonic in this, uh, is this really what you want your child being taught or encouraged to do? Well, the whole of the uh, writing prompt series has to do with taking power back and Uh, to hashtag get free. Well, the ironic thing about this title is that all the different prompts are actually more enslaving to the students. It enslaves them to self. Witchcraft is the uh, ultimate expression of self-worship for a, it declares that individuals have the supernatural powers to determine outcomes that are not theirs to control. Uh, If you believe that humans are spiritual creatures, then exposing and encouraging students to perform witchcraft is 
uh, opening up their spiritual cells to the evil, demonic side of spirituality. This is something no loving parent wants for their child. Well, as outrageous as this indoctrination is, it's not a standalone. Parents are suing the California Board of Education and the Department of Education for enticing their children to say a prayer or chant to Aztec gods. This was originally marketed as a way for students to learn about other cultures through the state's ethnic studies program. One particular chant was made by the Aztecs to invoke the god, the name of which I won't attempt to mispronounce. This deity was generally uh, the one to whom the Aztecs offered human sacrifices. And while the parents in question are for the teaching of other cultures, praying to their deities is a, a dubious legal footing. Para has not uh, been allowed in school since 1962 in the case Engel versus um, Vital, uh, in which the Supreme Court ruled prayer in schools was unconstitutional. Well, these parents also object to relig- on re- religious grounds. It's a very similar situation to rich cra- witchcraft because students are praying to deities that are historically soaked in the blood of human sacrifice. It opens them up to uh, uh, dark forces on the spiritual realm and uh, is evil through and through. Now, if you think this is not a battle for the soul of our country, you may need to rethink that stance. What's especially scary is the stuff we haven't heard about. In the Bible, there's a passage that comes to mind that discusses evil teaching practices. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Now, this is not a call to uh, to murder those who are responsible, but it says that their future when they stand before a holy God would have been better if, if their life had been ended. In any event, you couldn't make this stuff up or if you did, no one would believe it. We need to take a quick break. We'll be back to wrap things up. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, you're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. By way of reminder, tomorrow we'll take a look at the headline news. We'll also look at the lighter side of the news. I'll be joined by James Blend for that segment, and we'll share this week's Christian Outlook. All of that coming up on the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, California is considering funding abortions for out-of-state women as a part of a 45-part proposal to expand abortion accessibility if Roe v. Wade is overturned. The California Future of Abortion Council, started by Governor Gavin Newsom, a Democrat and made up of abortion providers and advocacy groups, published recommendations to protect, strengthen, and expand abortion care in California. Abortion care. Another oxymoron. In early December, Tony Atkins, the San Diego Democrat who leads the state Senate, helped to develop the recommendations, according to the Associated Press. We'll be a sanctuary, Governor Newsom said, according to ABC News. We are looking at ways to support that inevitability and looking at ways to expand our protections, end quote. Well, if the Supreme Court overturns Roe versus Wade and its Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization decision, states may have a greater latitude to restrict abortions in the first six months of pregnancy. And while states like California are expected to continue offering elected abortions into the late stages of pregnancy, Mississippi and other conservative states would likely limit elective abortions. And again, uh, Prudence Robertson, a spokesperson for the Susan B. Anthony list, speaking to the Daily Caller, extreme pro-abortion leaders in California are marching in lockstep with a profit-driven abortion lobby, working to convince women that they need access to abortion to succeed. 
Well, the California Future of Abortion Council recommendations aim to expand abortion funding to cover an influx of women from other states where abortions may be restricted, including by refunding abortion clinics that provide abortions at no cost to those who cannot afford them. California already pays for abortions for low-income residents, and the state's uh, the state rather requires insurance providers to pay for abortions within the state. Other proposals uh, the council provided uh, include promoting racial diversity in the abortion industry. Margaret Sanger would love that. Um, providing um, educational scholarships to those who want to perform abortions in rural areas. Requiring educational programs on abortion for family medical clinics and protecting abortion providers from civil and criminal liability. Hmm. Well, President Joe Biden and Russia, uh, the Bad boy, Vladimir Putin, have now had their two-hour virtual parlay about the Ukraine crisis. Is there any clear sense of how this is going to end? Well, the answer, sadly, is no. Well, the readout from the White House looked thinner than Christmas tissue paper, said one writer, James Carafano, from the Heritage Foundation. But from what can be gleaned, the U.S. side put nothing more on the table than what the president and secretary of state have been saying for uh, for days. More sanctions. Well, the threat of sanctions is meant to deter a a full-blown Russian invasion of Ukraine. But history shows that sanctions are no more of a deterrent to Putin than a speed bump to a monster truck. Just ask the uh, the good folks of occupied Crimea or occupied Georgia. Indeed, sanctions are not for deterring bad behavior. They're a tool of coercion meant to punish bad behavior. Totalitarian regimes have learned to live with sanctions. Just ask the Ayatollah. By putting only sanctions out there, Biden looks feckless. And that means that whether he attacks Ukraine or not, Putin has already won. The Russian strongman is shown he can threaten and intimidate the transatlantic community while they do nothing more than wave their fingers, said the bully who made a career of breaking fingers for fun. What could Biden have done? Well, Carafano suggests that the president can't say the U.S. will fight to defend Ukraine. Ukraine is not a treaty ally. What's more, the U.S. cannot uh, doesn't have rather a fight for have to fight for Ukraine. Ukrainians can do that. There are 44 million of them. If Putin attacks, he will have a fight on his hands. The Russians would have to strike in winter against determined defenders. What Biden should have done is hammer Putin for threatening the transatlantic community at all. Biden should be fit to be tied, not just for Ukraine, but for Russian meddling in Bosnia, the Belarus border crisis, energy blackmail against Moldova and other outrages. Rather than just threatening sanctions, the White House should be demanding immediate sanctions from Congress on the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. The administration should be working with our allies to determine who will send what is best help Ukraine bolster to help them bolster their air defenses, electronic warfare capabilities and more. What's needed most of all is leadership rather than dust off uh, contingency plans for emergency evacuation of the U.S. embassy in Kiev. The administration should double down on supporting Ukraine and affirm U.S. support of Moldova and Georgia, who also have territory occupied by Putin. What's needed most is leadership. The White House boasts that it is uh, consulting with key European powers before and after the Putin meeting. Well, big deal. Biden shouldn't be talking. He should be taking charge. You ought to be hearing a, st- a steady stream of proactive actions coming out of the uh, of the allies. Instead, they sound like a cluster of munchkins fretting about the wicked witch of the West. We'll see what happens as it is expected that um, Putin will, in fact, move in the winter, uh, will move into lesser populated areas, but will move in Ukraine. 
We hope and pray that will not be the case, but it certainly appears to be so. Well, the Biden administration has finally announced it will diplomatically boycott the 2022 Winter Olympic Games. A unilateral boycott was literally the least we could do. And uh, coming as it did after long months of indecision, it looks more like a face saving measure than moral leadership. It was a bare minimum. That said, it's not over yet. The diplomatic boycott was announced against a backdrop of Beijing's ongoing genocide and crimes against humanity against its Uyghur minority. It also came on the heels of the Chinese Communist Party targeting a a former Olympian and tennis champion, Peng Shua, who uh, claimed on the Chinese social media that she was uh, sexually assaulted by a senior Chinese official. Not to mention their undermining of freedom in Hong Kong and mishandling the early days of the covid pandemic. A diplomatic boycott ensures the U.S. government officials do not tacitly condone these activities while still ensuring American athletes safe participation. But still more can be done to hold Beijing accountable. Olivia Enos writes that there are several things to consider. The first, a multilateralized the diplomatic boycott. The U.S. is being mocked by Beijing because its diplomatic boycott is relatively isolated. It's imperative that Washington generate broad-based support. We now know that the U.K. and one other country have uh, followed suit. Number two, American athletes can raise their voices in solidarity with Chinese people. The Women's Tennis Association and many famous tennis players like Serena Williams have publicly called the CCP to release Peng Shua after she was held hostage by Beijing. Another, journalists should increase coverage of China's abuses. Now, that's not likely to happen, but journalists who travel to China to cover the Olympics have a duty to speak up for the Chinese people whose rights are being violated by their own government. Coverage of atrocities in uh, Xinjiang, human rights violations in Tibet, restrictions on free speech, religion, assembly should be front and center. But I guess I'm guessing it won't. Also, businesses can pull sponsorship as a form of protest. That's not likely to happen either. The business community should weigh carefully any decisions to grant credence to the propaganda during the games and consider the uh, reputational risks of doing so. At root, the games are a money-making venture for a host. American companies who participate in the Olympic Partner Program, like Coca-Cola, Airbnb, ABNB, Visa, Procter & Gamble, and others, Uh, Make the Olympics less profitable for the IOC and for Beijing by pulling their sponsorship of the games. Olympic sponsors pay billions of dollars to the IOC to be associated with the Olympics brand. The top funding pays for the uh, broadcasting operations of the host country, among other expenses. Furthermore, NBC should consider whether to air the opening ceremonies, which, if the 2008 Olympics were any indicator, ended up being a propaganda vehicle for the Chinese communist government. Businesses, including broadcasters, should not stand by as Beijing undermines human rights and security. My guess is most of that won't happen, but it certainly should. Well, we are out of time. I want to remind you tomorrow we'll take a look at the headline news, but also uh, the lighter side of the news with James Blend, and we'll share this week's Christian Outlook. I want to thank James Blend for producing and engineering today's program, and thank you for making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.
Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.